This is the Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic, hosted by Dr. Mark. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show, and today is a special day for us. But before we carry on, I want to introduce the people in the studio, as always, our producer, Sims. Good morning. Good morning. And then my my trusted right hand, left hand, and um, the sexpert amongst <laughs> us all, Sister Elise van Art, <laughs> and our, our, our gut coach, Stacey Holland. Guys, good morning. Morning. Okay, so today is, for me... Um, yeah, a day that's, that I didn't think would, would give me a bit of sadness. But yes, today is the last show in the current series. We're taking a bit of a break. Um, I'll be traveling extensively and things at the rooms aren't at the moment just so hectic that, um, doing these shows are becoming a bit of a, an issue. So, um, I want to talk about how these, how the Tea Health Show came about. Um, first of all, uh, a couple of years ago, our previous host, um, Chris Evan Smith, invited me onto Radio Today to speak about testosterone, and that was when the Tea Clinic just started, and we were treating men for fatigue, anxiety, depression, sexual dysfunction. Was that when you were still based in Parkmore? That was still when we were were still based in Parkmore, so this is going... Six years ago. Wow. Um, that we did the first tea health show. And we liked the show so much that, um, a, probably about four years ago, it became a regular feature on Monday evenings, okay. um, on radio today. Now, um, from there, um, Stacey, you picked us up actually, <laughs> um, because we did, um, an insert. The mm-hmm. first one that we did was an insert for real health. And that's the first time that you and I met. Yes. Um, and the insert, part of that insert is still on the introduction of, of the, the show. real health yeah. show. <laughs> so, you know, that was a long time ago. Mm. And then subsequently you and I did a couple of, um, episodes yeah. for real health. Yeah. I will never forget that you asked me about <laughs> phytoestrogens. What um, is that? <laughs> you asked Stacy because I also didn't know. <laughs> It's um, plant chemicals that mimic estrogen. So in in the body, yeah, they phyto being plant and then estrogen, phytoestrogen. So um, that was a a, a nasty one. And then during... It's because he's so knowledgeable. That's why. uh, You know what one of my professors said? If you can't dazzle them with your brilliance, (laughs) you have to baffle them with bullshit. So it's exactly what I ended up doing. So, um, and then during COVID, when I relocated my rooms, um, the one day we were ordering, I was ordering, um, some microdyson. Now we have in studio, as I said, our resident dirty old lady, um, <laughs> sister Elise, that I was, put up with. <laughs> um, and we, uh, uh 
I, I placed the order with Elise, who was at that point in time heading up the um, gynae and urological side of New Angle. The uh, pelvic health pelvic side. Pelvic health side. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, um, That's like now now. Yeah. yeah. So I met Elise when in Durban, actually, um, when she asked me to come and teach the current head of department of urology for KZN um, University, Prof. Chetty, about erectile dysfunction and the um, ED shot. Now, here I am, and I'm training the the professor. So thank you, Elise, for that one. And I will never forget, we had such fun because as we parked outside, we stopped next to his Maserati. Yes. Oh, Oh, wow. Um, And we walked into his office and we had to sit on on chairs that were covered with duct tape. (laughs) The leather is... Like split and <laughs> split. <laughs> like you walk past the Maserati. I will, for me, I, I just looked at Elise and I said, What the fuck? That was just, um, wow. So Please. that's where Elise and I met, and then how she joined the tea clinic is where I, I ordered microdyson from her, and, um, at that moment I was looking for, uh, a, a clinical assistant or a registered nurse to join us. And out of the blue, I said to her, but you're a nurse. Don't you want to come work for me? And Elisa's answer was. No, you said I need a nurse. And I said, so that's why you called me. (laughs) So, and that's, um, you know, at one week later, Elisa and I was having coffee and um, yeah. I was under the impression you guys have gone back. Yeah, like, like years, decades, like, even yeah. like OMG. I would never ever. Would no, have thought I, I that have it to was be honest. Elisa always thrown me into the deep side. <laughs> As I said, the first time I met her, I was to to train um, the head of department of urology, and the second time, um, I was presenting yes. um, on erectile dysfunction. <laughs> To um, the heads of departments oh of gosh. all the medical schools, oh my god, and all the final year urology registrars on um, erectile dysfunction and the use of PRP. Was so, this the, the talk that you did where they were actually quite closed to? Yes. Absolutely, the that's why I say, you know, what she goodness. always she always makes it a little bit <laughs> difficult. So, um, but in any case, so that's how. Um, the tea health show came about and you know what we've had so many good discussions yeah um in the studio mm. both with chris and with some <laughs> peewee so today actually i i i want to take a moment reflect back on them um to some of the fun moments <laughs> that we had before we actually um start choking um, <laughs> and we're all looking at some people <laughs> <laughs> um, i think we've managed to discuss topics in our discussions that so few people actually 
um, mm. was willing to address. Um, I think we discussed it very frankly. I'm specifically thinking about the couple of um, uh, podcasts that we did about a woman's journey to orgasm and yeah. the language of sex. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think these were transforming and, you know, they broke some boundaries mm. um, for radio shows. Mm. Um, Elise? Um, what I think is, um, and what I've really appreciate or liked about it is that I could teach some peewee something <laughs> <laughs> about orgasm about orgasms and journeys of love etc etc yes. yes you have have I you applied any of this to me? <laughs> Girl, <laughs> that's a topic for another day. A whole episode. So, you know what? I, I think you taught a lot of people, uh, me included, um, about mm. that. You know what? I didn't know that uh, the female orgasm is a learned experience. Yeah. You know what? Boys just we just go at it and something oh okay this is new uh this is nice oh okay this is messy so um you know for and us it was it was an educator for most yes. men like that's the sad reality of it i mean I was, I was watching a series on netflix called unorthodox about a sect of um orthodox jews and obviously they wanted to rebuild the six million that were, were lost during the Holocaust. And so sex was seen as this route to building the six million. But you know what? I, Cersei, when you say that, I go to again one of my favorite <laughs> TV shows, uh, absolutely fabulous, where I thought Orthodox Jews, according to that program, <laughs> you can only have sex once a month through a tiny hole in a sheet. <laughs> so this is not the same thing. I think it's another sect, but they are only allowed to have sex every Friday when a woman is clean. What? Wait, what? Dude, you have to watch the series. But also the mechan like mechanistic way of having sex. The woman must just lay down on this bed and the guy gets on top and it's all about him. She serves him. That's why she lays down on the bottom. And she's there to bear children to make up these six million lives that were lost in the Holocaust. And Darling, I just thought, point your heels at Jesus and think of Louis Vuitton bags. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the, in one area, the extent to which there's no education. And if you think about maybe if you call it, call it the secular world, men are being educated via Porn via movies, oh, via series. But even on Show Max, I think there's a, a show, what, Sex and Afrikaans? Yes. <laughs> apparently, it's quite a funny one. I've never watched it. And it's, it's, and it's also apparently quite explicit. Oh, really? Yeah. I saw it's got a picture of an eggplant or something. <laughs> I have to tell you to watch it. It even shocked me. Really? Wow. <laughs> yes. I promise you. No. I was like, I, I have to look at all six shows. But I don't know if I've got the guts to do, to do this. this one. Yeah. So it, it's very Why, good. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> I no, haven't had time to watch possibly it. possibly shock you, Elise? <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's a guy, an old, old guy wearing a latex suit from top to bottom. And he gets off on that. Uh, on the latex? Yeah. Just wearing what, the just suit? The sensation yeah, and the latex. Heels, eight-inch heels. And, you know, <laughs> there's um, one guy that calls himself the first king. And he's oh, saying in the my. guru. 
Goodness. And he's, Karua, what yeah, is and he's going talking on about the bure mana that comes to him to get fisted. Um, there's, oh, it's like <laughs> my mind was blown about in Afrikaans. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Afrikaans is good enough to watch it. No, it's, it's apparently no, you don't have to follow the dialogue. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's that explicit. <laughs> then I, I think there was a couple of other things that um, we spoke about. That can, I, can I just go back to the doors that we opened with the open discussions that we had and how it transferred back to our clinic is mm. – um, what I found and what I've learned is when we do the specifically female consultations, you and I together, mm. there is not a real openness um, to discuss it openly. Mm. But as soon as we go to my consultation room, it's as if the woman has the guts to say, okay, this, this is a problem. A this is a situation. How do we deal with this? Um, no, I we, think we gave them a safe space to start talking about these things. Did you find that when you were working, cause you, you worked as a gynae, right? Yeah. Did you, did you find that there was a sense of holding back? Oh, absolutely. Really? Mm. Absolutely. This is one of the reasons why when it comes to the female consultations, yeah. I prefer to do them with Elise mm. for the simple reason. My, my side of this is, Fairly clinical, you know what? Yeah, um, uh, when we when we discuss sex, it's about sexual history, not what you're into, what you're doing, yeah, or what's yeah, yeah. happening at home, or what's not happening at home. Yeah. For me, um, you know what? It's more about the sexual functioning mm. um, yeah. to see whether there's um, a uh, any kind of pathology, uh, mm. not necessarily a psychological pathology. Mm. Um, and because we do that first, um, and it's done in such a open and on, uh, you know, a conversational way, fact, you know, what, yeah. um, we, we establish a rapport with the patients that I think they start trusting us and then they go with Elise and, you know, what, as a matriarch in, in the practice, mm. um, our Patients feel very safe with her. Mm. On so many occasions mm. have I had um, patients come and said, oh, my God, that was the most pleasant experience mm. having my pap smear that I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, it's so <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, the stuff that we do in, in the practice, whether it's just taking a history yeah. um, or doing a physical examination are incredibly intimate. Now, one of the things I think that, that helped me with this is my history um, in obstetrics and Absolutely. gynecology, but also the fact that um, my aesthetic background, yeah. where I work so incredibly closely with women in their faces, mm. you know, but other stuff you can hide behind clothes, etc., mm. etc. A face you can't. Yeah. Um, and that taught me over many, many years to understand women, what they, what women what they say without yes. saying it yeah. um, and get a feel for um, unspoken 
and spoken things. But Stacey, it's like you mm. when when you sit mm. with your history. You know what? No one wants to admit. You know what? I have a shit diet. Yeah. Um, it's like when I ask them, "Do you exercise regularly?" Yeah, I've just started yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> You're not exercising regularly, so you know what? We we try and make it. Sounds if, as, as if, you know what, I'm not that bad. If you're not exercising, you're not exercising. Yeah. I say, well, then why are you here? You know, there's always this moment. It's about, it, it sometimes happens just before the halfway mark, but it's usually around the halfway mark of the consultation where these words are uttered. Okay, let me just be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, nah, you took so long to be honest with me. Do we have to go back or what? No, 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 it's just this. And then that's when the truth obviously starts flowing. But yeah, I hear you. I mean, that's a huge part of what we, what we do at the clinic oh, is allowing right. people to actually I, I do be think honest. that all of us working together has got the same type of approach to a patient. Mm. Um, you know, sympathetic, empathetic. Mm. Okay, we are also human. We do make mistakes. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not perfect. Um, and people relate to that. Yeah. You know what? I, 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 I take the consultation. Ceci, you've been through one. Uh, Elise and I sit in them together. Simply what I tell my patients, mm-hmm. either directly after taking a medical history before we go into exploring Really, why they came, or depending on the feel that I get from them, the first thing that I tell them is in this practice, um, we do not bullshit, mm. it's not in the patient's interest, mm. and neither Elise or I um, are inclined to do so. Mm. That's number one. Um, and then it's about, I mean, I explained to them the only way that our treatments work mm-hmm. is if communication between the patient and us are honest, effective, because it's all about the patients. It's not about us. And that communication may include, guys, whatever you've done is not making me feel better or it made me feel worse. You know, it find uh, we need to do something else. But if a patient doesn't tell you that, mm. and I think so often mm. we have patients that come to us and say, yeah, but I've been from doctor to doctor and they give me a prescription, but you don't go back to the doctor and say to the doctor, yes. listen, yeah. um, I'm not getting the results that I think I should get, or this is not making me feel better, or this actually made me feel bad. What you do is you stop the medication or you don't go back to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And in our practice, it's different. You know what? We are there, and the sole reason we are there is to give you, the patient, a better quality of life and improved well-being. Um, In saying that, one of the things that I think – Grew out of our practice um, was involvement of two pay, two very special people, um, Stacy and and Yvonne. Um, now, Stace, you and I have known each other for a while, but you mm. actually came to us as a patient as a initially. Patient. Yeah. Um, and again, at that consultation, mm. um, I said to you. Stacy, um, I need someone to see my patients to teach them about. Trust Mark to recruit me while I'm there. 
<laughs> you know what? I, I'm a two-in-one special girl. <laughs> so, and um, the exact same happened with Yvonne. Yeah. Um, when I realized what Yvonne was doing, Elise, you and I were sitting in that consultation, yes. and I stopped the consultation, and I said to her, the moment we're done with this consultation, I want to talk to you because I think we can need – I, I, we need uh, – your kind of expertise, expertise. in the practice. Mm. But Stacey, gut health, mm. you taught us everything we knew about gut health. Mm. And um, one of the things that surprised me and that's becoming so evident through all the research that is being done around the world, everything is related to our gut. Uh, Literally everything. Insane, our emotions, yeah. our health, our yeah. um, comorbidities all can be traced back to our gut. or linked to the gut. You know, I suppose... We shouldn't be that surprised if we think of, from a biological perspective, the common ancestor that we all developed from a single-celled organism organism that was a gut, and that developed into mitochondrion. You know, the the mitochondrion, and that's why the mitochondria are referred to as the powerhouses of the body. I mean, it really is the shape of a bacterium. So, actually, I want to interrupt you there, Simpiwe. Do you do did you have biology at school? Oh, I didn't take it as a subject. Okay, so um, for people who didn't take it, um, Stace, do you want to explain just the evolution? No, you go ahead. Okay, so... Because it came to your mind. <coughs> we evolved from a single-celled organism. Everything on Earth evolved from single-celled organisms. Mm-hmm. And then we became complex organisms where we started forming more and more cells. Mitochondria was is a bacteria actually, and it became part of our own cells. So you have your cell, and inside of it, you have an organism, um, like that's like a bacteria that produce energy Mm. um, as a byproduct for itself, and we incorporated that into our cells. To give us energy So that's mitochondria And they function basically on their own They have their own set of DNA That's different to ours Um, And without them we cannot survive. Yeah, and so. I think I think what's fascinating about the the mitochondria <coughs> and about the gut as well is that when we think of it in these bigger terms, it kind of makes sense that even if you look at what we're studying in terms of genetics now, I think we are becoming a little bit we, we we're starting to blame our genes a little bit too much, even though epigenetics has taught us that it's lifestyle that turns on and off certain genes. There's okay. still this, you know, propensity to say, Oh, it's in my genes type of a thing. But what's more fascinating about that if you want to look at genetics is that if you think that we are made up of trillions of microbial cells, we're actually more microbial far more, far more. DNA. By and we are times human more. DNA. Yeah. yeah. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface in understanding these various strains. I mean, if you go back to the germ theory was that, you know, these microbes cause disease. Now we're starting to understand that there's the germ environmental theory in that the state of the body, the state of the cells, the state of your external environment then impacts 
the body impacts the microbes and that environment can dictate whether these microbes are pathogenic or health providing health giving and i think that's fascinating because it just shows then that we're always in a state of flux which we know is the situation mm. so if you zoom all the way out again i mean we have a tendency in science and in medicine to Constantly you zoom in, right? We're asking why. We're trying to figure out why things are the way they are. But sometimes we get stuck in that zoomed in position. So we're looking at only one part of the puzzle and we have to constantly zoom out. I think that's what we see in the practice is that constant zooming out. Okay, so in theory, this medication works. In theory, this probiotic works. But then you have all these different individuals that come through the doors and you're going to have those people that teach you constantly that – there's no neat box that people fit into. Yeah, absolutely. There's no perfect set of symptoms yeah. that people have. And so it's constantly a state of fluidity and flux. And that's exactly what the gut is yeah. all the time. Um, I, I think, um, and I want to sing our own praises and forgive me for doing so. Um, through this show and through real health, we were forced to learn and read mm. and in the last year alone the amount of progress mm. and new discoveries um, that's been made in understanding the microbiome mm. um, is mind-blowing mm. every single time um, I open my emails, and this is every day. We have a, a, a very, very good medical platform called, called Medscape. And every single day, Elise and I are confronted or see a new article about the role of the microbiome in weight loss, the, mo uh, the role of the microbiome in hormone um, in behavior, yeah. um, in child behavior specifically, in in growth and in health, immunity. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating, and for for that for me it was one of the nicest things. Did um, we ever tell some? Did we ever discuss fecal matter transplants? What no. Is that? <laughs> Think about it. Fecal. Just picture it. It comes in one oh end, no. or no, go, no, it no, goes out I, the I, other I, end. I that statement. I you don't, don't want to know. know. No, and, no. and then serms, <laughs> you transplant it back through the opening it came in with. Mm. So now I heard that. And it's the, not even your own. It's mm. not your own. I heard the craziest story from one of my mentors the other day. She said, fecal matter transplants obviously have been done in China for years. Really? It was question, called. The, I do why? not even want to give why? you the name of what it was but called like, because it will change your experience. Like, why of would I have to? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> was anyway. it on uh, sex in Afrikaans as well? Because there are people that are into that. Right, that is like a that. It is a fish. It's a horrible one. <laughs> All I know, and this I, I learned from Dubai recently. <laughs> very close people. 
Habibi, come to Dubai and be a human party. Yeah, this just happened recently. Social oh, media influencers yes. are doing this. Like, yes. So if you never see me again and I've made a million dollars, <laughs> just know I went to Dubai. She, she did an oral fecal matter transplant back. <laughs> I missed that story. Now we have to show you. No, do not look at any videos. Do not make that mistake. But anyway, they've been they've been done in China for years, and apparently there was this family that my mentor worked with, where the son was experiencing autistic symptoms, really struggling with gut issues, and they decided, well, the grand the grandfather lives on some island in Greece. Very healthy, drinks homemade wine and goat meat and Mediterranean lifestyle and lots of sunshine. So they got some of his stool, put it into a bucket, sloshed it around with some water and gave it to the child via an enema. And the first time in years, this child experienced some relief. Only lasted for a month, though. So they would, they would need to do this fecal matter Homemade fecal matter well, transplant. Well, you know, if it's via an enema, it's okay. If it's via a gastric tube, ugh. Very different story, right? I mean, that would only populate the colon, which I suppose is where you it's want where the population anyway. It's where you want it because anyway, your, really. your duodenum is yes. supposed to be sterile. Yeah. You do not want organisms well, there. We so find, I don't want to put them through my stomach. Now we out that it actually shouldn't be too sterile. It should be populated only by select microbes. And I say this is why science is always... You know, changing around the topic. But I thought the story of this home done fecal matter transplant was like fascinating. And it's becoming popular in the Western world, particularly yeah. in the US and in Europe. Yeah. But one mm-hmm. of the challenges of it is finding a healthy donor. What is a healthy donor? That's compatible with That's you. That's compatible. And also, it seems that the, the benefits don't last longer than three months anyway. Like, is it worth Going through that? Well, you know, but my question is, um, like uh, <laughs> Safi said to Edina, you know what? Someone tells you what to eat, someone tells you what to wear, and three times a week, someone sticks a hose up your bum and washes it all out. So, <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, to do a fecal uh, fecal transplant, first you'll have to do a colon irrigation. You yeah. actually have to. And if anyone's clean ever done that, it, out. has anyone here done no. one of those? It is one of the most. It's a sacred hole that for me. <laughs> it's not a nice feeling. It is a sacred hole. Keep it that way. <laughs> you know, Do not break kissed, your virginity in that regard. <laughs> we kissed Jesus's feet, so I'm not kissing your ass. <laughs> So, but yeah, you're okay, right. but yeah, you're it, right. it's interesting because you sent me an article about mm. that mm. Uh, last week. Mm. But you haven't said what they call it. What? Oh, the Chinese one. Do you really want to know? Yeah. yeah. The yellow soup. <laughs> No, no, I'm not you didn't want to hear it, right? <laughs> I know that the Yellow River is run through China, so you know what? I will never take a dip in that. So, um, one one of the other things that um, we we spoke about at length was males mm. and the importance of um, optimal. Hormone levels in male mm. patients for everything. Um, you know what? I think when when we start a conversation with testosterone, um, your first 
image is that of muscles and gym. Um, and, you know, it's some guy with a color of a Valentino leather. And, and they bolt. <laughs> yeah, he that's true. That's the image you have. Okay. So um, what, what we are fast realizing, not realizing, we've, we've known this for a while, but that's now um, becoming proved in mainstream medicine is the if, uh, incredibly important role that um, hormones, both testosterone and estrogen, yeah. and to a lesser degree progesterone, yeah. Plays in the maintenance and um, of men's health, not only sexual health, but mental health, cardiovascular health, um, and gut health. Yeah. So. Um, you know, actually, one of our, our patients brought up something that I meant to ask you about. Since starting progesterone, the bloating that she experienced. Um, has abated. Normally when she ate food that she shouldn't eat, she would immediately get a, a flare up in bloating and mm. a painful swelling, which you would, you obviously have experienced as well. And three days after starting her progesterone, she could eat trigger foods, not to say that they didn't affect her, but, but not as badly. Not as badly. You know what, Stacey? Um, we know that progesterone balances out Estrogen, but we also know that progesterone is uh, almost parasympathetic mm. in its action. It calms down the nervous, the nervous system. system. Um, you know, but very often in my male patients where I give progesterone, which is for all my testosterone patients, mm. basically, um, we give it at nighttime because it, it has a very calming effect yeah. uh, on the on the central nervous system. Okay. Um, now combine that with something like magnesium, mm. um, and patients immediately have an improvement in sleep. Sleep. Okay. So um, uh, erectile functioning and sexual functioning in men, like uh, the discussions that we had in women, I think were eye openers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, for so many men, um, you know, what having erectile function uh, problems or erectile dysfunction um, is very much. A taboo subject mm. um, and something that you know what we started treating with the prescription drugs like Viagra and Cialis yeah. and a lesser degree Levitra and then um, you know what the pharmacies came out with things like Maximor and blah 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 and then your sex shops and even stuff that you can buy online yeah. um, but that was it um, yeah. you know what it was very interesting. Um, I don't know whether you guys have ever seen the program, um, the My Embarrassing Body. That's mm, the program. Mm. Have you seen My yeah. Embarrassing Body? So it just so happened that um, on Monday evening, um, I was waiting for Stefan to come home. And um, I flicked through the channels because I'm a flicker. And... As I flicked through, they were talking about erectile dysfunction. 
erectile dysfunction, and this for me was new, is a very good indicator of cardiovascular disease. Um, For the simple reason that the um, dorsalis penis artery is one of the smallest arteries in the body. And it is one of the first ones to get clogged with cholesterol plaques or sugar plaques or fatty globules, etc., etc. So that's, you know what, guys, if you're starting to battle with erectile functioning, it's time that we take a look at your overall cardiovascular health because it's an indicator of heart attacks and strokes. You can't, you can't separate. The two, you know. Well, you know, but this is one of the things that I actually want you to explain a little bit because when I tell patients this, um, it's a little bit different. Stacy, we had a patient um, in in the rooms yeah. that was uh, all of us said he was one of the most attractive guys that we've seen. Yes. But he was what fifteen, twenty kilograms overweight. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, he's been to dietitians, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they all put him on calorie restricted diets. And I said, "But that's not going to work for you. Yeah. We actually need to feed Easy. your body." Yeah. And that's he was. I, I came to you and I said to you, Stacy, I have a patient that I need you to feed, not yeah. put him on a diet. Yeah. So explain the difference and you know, about I gave him so much food he struggled. <laughs> yeah. So tell us the difference between diet. Yeah. Um, because, because people think diet, I have to eat only certain things or eat very little. Yeah. And we forget that we actually need to feed the body. Well, you see, what people forget when they talk about calorie restriction and diet is they're looking at weight loss in isolation. They're looking at metabolism in isolation. And we also have a false idea of what metabolism is. We think it's only weight loss. But metabolism could be... Thought of as the sum of all the chemical reactions that take place in the body, right? That's absolutely the corrective. So now, if you're thinking of metabolism as only weight loss, can you see how you're missing that if this is actually related to all the chemical reactions in the body, if you had to ask questions, what is needed for all these chemical reactions to optimally work? You'd ask different questions yeah. for just weight loss and then all these chemical reactions. I think throw in their homeostasis. Okay. Um, create the body is in balance. Balance, and yes. when you change something, you disturb the balance. Well, actually, so I the body wants to restore, restore that it, balance. Yes, and even in uh, Dr. Susan ref- um, mentioned this last week, I think in our podcast about the situation of allostasis, uh, where it's not it's not just this balancing of scales, like as much as is on the left is on the right. It's a constant balance like this. It's it's again in a state of flux, almost like a uh, someone Standing walking on a, a tightrope. Yes, or on a bosable. Exactly, yeah. that's a great analogy. But when it comes to weight loss, many people focus on calories in, calories out because, yes, technically speaking, the laws of thermodynamics govern that if you eat too many calories and you cannot burn them, you will then store it as fat. But what that completely ignores is I'm of the belief that a calorie is not just a calorie. The source of the calorie, the quality of the calorie is important because we have cofactors, we have micronutrients, we have vitamins and minerals that are essential in making sure that these metabolic functions are optimized and work properly. So when someone says to someone like the patient that we're, we're thinking of that you just need to cut calories, well, think about how many ways you could lose weight in a very unhealthy way. If I was just measuring that I needed to consume 600 calories today, 
day. I could get that 600 calories from McDonald's. Or I, a, a chocolate bar. I could get it from a chocolate like bar. I could get it from veggies. I could get it from fruit. I could get it from a variety of sources. But when we focus purely on just measuring calories in, calories out, we narrow the window of how that person can replete themselves with Essential minerals and cofactors like vitamin A, magnesium, chromium, zinc. So they end up getting into a position of micronutrient deficiency. So you're actually starving the body. They are starving the body with feeding it calories. So they're actually overfed and undernourished. That's that's the the long and the short of, of focusing on diet only and calories in, calories out. I I'm gonna ask Simpi where this Simpiwe, have you seen on the news or something these kids in um, places like Ethiopia, etc., etc., where they skeletons with pot bellies? Mm. Yes, I think there's a term for it. Squanjako. There we go. <laughs> go okay. So, and, and this is exactly what Stacy is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? You you starved for your metabolic processes. Mm. That is. Responsible for growth, for bone health, um, for brain function, for cardiovascular function, um, because everything sits in fat cells where it's not accessible. Mm. Um, and the trick is to <clears throat> activate the metabolic processes mm. so that you can actually utilize um, these stores. Um, and people think by not eating, they can do that. And especially people that do one of the things that I hate, um, called intermittent fasting between <laughs> eight and six. Um, you know what? Uh, because that, that's know, not I, that's, intermittent. There's so much education we've had to do with many of our patients coming in on what intermittent fasting is and when fasting can work and why it can work and why it doesn't work for many of them as well. But I think the challenge is many people just want to lose weight. For sure, I get that. It's it's an important goal. But for any person that feels that, you know, calories in, calories out is the way to go, what I inevitably end up asking them is, sure, you can lose weight that way, but how's your mental health? Yeah. Your your problem with depression, did it go away when you cut calories or did it exacerbate? Yeah, I can answer you that question and Elise can answer you that question because both of us, um, I I went on to a prescription medication mm. uh, recently to help me manage my um, impaired glucose metabolism. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that that medication does is it makes you feel full. Now, I have a problem with eating. I'm fine if I don't eat, but the moment I do, I can't stop. stop um, yeah. And here's Elise, she's seen me uh, when I start eating. People stare at me. How can you put away that much food? But I'm not, I'm not full. Yeah. And it's changed that completely. Yeah. Um, and during this initial phase, Oh my God. Mm. Um, you couldn't sneeze around me without getting a dirty look. Um, or, uh, you know what? I was exhausted. Actually, it, it impacted, I think, a great deal on my immune system. Yeah. Um, taking in, uh, cleaner food, mm. uh, because all the bodybuilders talk about eating cleanly. Mm. Mm. You know what? I wash my food before I eat it. <laughs> 
And so um, ice cream comes in a sterile tub, so it's clean. Um, but Elise, um, uh, you had the same because you also started, but you started on something differently. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, today I sit here and I wonder, is that really the right route? Yeah. You know, when you say um, overfit and undernourished, I think you have a, a, a term that says underfit and undernourished mm. as well. As well, definitely. And be overweight. Mm. Well, remember, I don't think we've ever discussed like the skinny fat phenomenon. I think we we mentioned it off air, where we have this view of health in society that is based on aesthetics. So if you look a certain way, we make the assumption. And to a certain extent, we could do that within our space. We can look at someone and say, okay, are they morbidly obese? You know, mm. um, where is that fat sitting? Is it visceral fat? Is it subcutaneous? Mm. You know, we can, we can sort of make those judgments, but then they get to a point of a body profile where we'd never be able to do that. And I've seen so many patients that are tiny in clothes they've got fabulous supermodel bodies but their body composition is completely off they've got no skeletal muscle mass everything is predominantly fat yeah, yeah. so these, pa- these are, are the patients that are going to develop osteoporosis 100 percent mental health they struggle with anxiety and all depression. of those tiny women are on some kind of antidepressant yes. do you know what i mean so again it's, it's one of the things that we need to challenge and i know so many people that are curvy or technically overweight but when you go through everything mental health great sure they could lose some weight fitness some of them not too bad in fact many of them are actually quite cardiovascularly fit they're doing yoga they're walking regularly are they going to do a 5k in 30 minutes who can you know, unless you're both like an Ethiopian runner, exactly. Or chased by something. <laughs> or chased by someone. <laughs> so we need to start discussing those metrics of health and what <coughs> constitutes health. And this is my problem with the weight loss community and the fitness community because I've been so deeply entrenched in it, is we tell people to be fit and healthy based on very few metrics, not holistic metrics. You know how many of these fitness models still struggle with autoimmune conditions, still struggle with depression and anxiety, still struggle with joint pain and and some form of rheumatoid arthritis, for example, or fibromyalgia. That is not health. To look a picture of health, but still struggle with so many things that, you know, people can't point at or say, oh, this is how you look um, or this is the weight that you weigh. There's a problem there. So, yeah, yeah, you're right, Elise, that Mm. there is definitely these um, states. You know what? We are launching a a, a proper weight loss clinic at the T Clinic. So, um, Elise, you and I have been in the medical uh, industry for Combined eighty years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not far from wrong. Um, no, but probably for about fifty years, I've been in in practice for twenty two. You've been yeah. in practice probably almost for. Uh, 40 years 40 years So yeah oh, we, we 60 years Stace <laughs> You've been innings. in the medical fraternity <laughs> um, For a long time I remember The first weight loss clinic um, It was I think Dr. Johan Boerter 
actually that really? started one of the big weight loss clinics what? where you would go and you would get your injections. injections. But there was a and, Dr. Cohen as well. And big, uh, Dr. Cohen as well. But that was all about calorie restriction. Yes. Now, then the next one that came out was Slender Wonder. Wonder. No, no, no. Which one? Uh, there was Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers, yeah, Weight Watchers, Watchers, I think, was one of the best. Mm. Um, ways of to be, because yeah. it was not, um, where you were given a starvation diet mm. with some kind of medication to get to, you yeah. through yeah, the, right. um, and this is, this is the problem, um, with, I would say, the run of the mill weight clinic. Mm. Where you are calorie restricted mm-hmm. yeah. and you're giving broccoli and brown rice With and chicken boiled chicken breast. <laughs> that is absolutely tasteless. Okay, so, and that's what you're supposed to eat. Um, yeah. And today we have in our practice um, so many patients who are losing weight. Sustainably, I think this is the biggest thing is yeah. losing weight sustainably because, um, everyone that goes on a diet eventually picks it back up. Um, and we've achieved that through combinations of, um, bespoke supplementation, mm. bespoke nutritional information and guidance. And Stace, that's mm. you. Mm. These beautiful, beautifully effective, safe, sustainable new prescription medication that came about that's replaced the older appetite suppressants, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et mm-hmm. um, and we have bespoke IV nutrients yeah. because changing calorie intake, et cetera, et cetera, changes the microbiome and that is going to change how you express genes and it's going to change how you uh, metabolize hormones and biggest of all it changes how your brain functions yeah. i think that's something that is very we we don't talk enough about i mean i think we've mentioned it once on the show where because our parents told us to finish everything on our plate mm-hmm. now we whether it's healthy or not it's you know sort of worked into our psyche that if something is on my plate whether leptin or ghrelin are working properly because it's another aspect that we don't talk about mm. from a hormonal perspective is that signal and that cue that our body's saying you've had enough we override that. How many of us are actually so in tune with those signals? I'm definitely one of those as well. Um, so psychologically, there's a lot of work that I have to inevitably do with our, with our patients is let's talk about how, why you see food a certain way. Where did this come from? Where a does lot this of people thinking... say that they stress eaters or they stop eating when they stress. Or even they, Is they, this what you're referring yeah, to? Yes, and definitely emotional eaters. Comfort when I've eaters. had a bad day, I used to come home and mom would say, make me my favorite meal or mom would have chocolates available for me. So now you have a bad email, you have a bad road rage incident, whatever the situation is, and immediately the food trigger goes off. Uh, because of the effect of that food on dopamine receptors in the brain, we 
which is a reward Mechanism. repetitive yep. behavior. Yeah. It's exactly like alcohol yep. or smoking yep. or drugs. And so if, but many of us are not even aware of this, right? Because <laughs> until someone asks you, asks you the question, coffee is a great one. When I say to people, great, I'm putting you on a 21 day reboot. We're going to take out certain things. It's just a month. One of those things is coffee. I've literally had people cry. I can't. For coffee. For coffee. I cannot do that. How can you do this to me? There's no ways. I'll give up everything. You know, it's like a drug addict talking to me. And you have to coach them through it. It's, it's only for three days. You know, we'll do yours towards the end. Normally I do it in the beginning, but we'll, we'll take it out, but just for three days. There are other options that I can give you. And you can just see that withdrawal. Now that is also a sign of mineral deficiency because when we can replete that then the brain can function in a different way and how funny is that it's not just it's not just a clinical functioning of the brain it's the psychosocial aspect of mindset through nutrient repletion so that's why you can't have rehabs and you can't have these centers where we treat these type of conditions without looking at diet without looking at minerals without having this type of input because the person doesn't even have the resources to dig into something to make Mm -hmm. that decision to get off something or to move in a certain direction so that's where ivies are wonderful because if the gut is already disrupted and you come in into the clinic for something like our mega myers or whatever we're providing them with the mineral resources to actually start making better decisions yeah um one of our our great learning opportunities elise i think is um our relationship that we have with people like Divya Naidu mm. from the Compounding Pharmacy mm. of South Africa um, that's taught us so much about um, nutrients and IVs, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, true. And also what makes a good IV, eh? and, I, and what I've learned through this two years with you, Stacey, specifically is that that repletion Mm. Of the micronutrients mm. is so important before you can actually start with anything, yeah. with any treatment yeah. in our clinic. Yeah. Um, and the way that you discuss with the patient, um, taking in consideration what they are used to eating mm. and what they need to eat, actually. Mm. it You blowed my mind with that. Mm. It's amazing how you work around mm. it and not make it difficult for them. So that yeah. I learned a lot from. Something else I learned is um, with us, specifically with the males and the females, there's different objectives for both sexes. Sure, for males, so mm. is it's performance and physical. For females, it's really emotional. Yeah, I, I think when when you say performance, it's performance in the boardroom, the bedroom, yes. and on the sports field. Yeah. Yes. And for women, it's uh, you're absolutely right, Elise. Yeah. It's I want my mood stable. Correct. Um, I want to. I, I just want. To feel better and I want to be able to nurture. Um, exactly. And, that. and it, it's, 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 um, you know, now that you say that, it's, it's actually very clear. I, but I, I also see that in, um, my aesthetic practice. Mm. Um, you know, what on this show we spoke about lots of things. I had wonderful guests like Dr. Vivian Jandera, Dr. Mel Lampracht, um, and, um, Dr. Alfreda Fari. Both of those, um, are, 
um, KLMs with me and international trainers. And um, the psychological reasons why people come to us for aesthetic treatments mm. um, is basically the same. I want to feel better about myself. Um, I want to feel, be perceived in a different way in the world. One of the things that we often do is emotional beauty. Um, what your face tells other people when they look at you and you're in a neutral expression, you know. It, and um, yeah, I am happy, but these bloody frown marks lines you look always angry. make me look angry. <laughs> so, um, and that's, that's one of the, the biggest things that we've seen. We're very, we're very close to the end of the show and of the current season. Um, Stace, any any big things before we wrap this up? No, I just you know, I think that I wanna remind people that we are we are going through tumultuous times. And the craziness that you are experiencing, we spoke about it before we came on the show. The fatigue that you're experiencing, the maybe even a sense of being lost and not grounded is not abnormal. It doesn't mean there isn't help available for you. There definitely is. But I think that I, I am, if I, if I keep my finger on the pulse just with friends and family and what's happening on social media, I think that people are in a space where they feel very much out of sorts. Mm. And I just want them to know that as much as we're highlighting mental health, that is really important, but also they need to know that there's a normality around it. There's help for it. Come and see us at the T clinic. And I know you'll, you'll do that sort of call out, call to action as well. And then when it comes to gut, what you put in your mouth affects how you think, affects how you sleep, affects how you see and perceive the world. That's how closely they're linked. So one of the first things that you can do to start feeling better is taking out gluten and dairy. And sugar. <laughs> and sugar. <laughs> Three things, gluten, dairy, and sugar. And I'd go with gluten first, then sugar, sugar. and then dairy. And to see if that makes a difference. It's uh, you know what I, advice. Yeah. How can we replace refined sugar? Raw honey, maybe? Or I agave? Love, I love, I prefer raw honey <coughs> over agave, unless you're vegan. But raw honey is, it's such, it's a superfood. So don't be putting it in your coffee and your teas when it's too hot because there are microbes in there that actually help with replenishing that diversity in, in the microbiome. Um, but yeah, raw honey is a great option. Try that. Mm. Uh, that's what I do. I don't take sugar at all. Yeah. Um, it's honey. Mm. Um, Sister Elise, um, from your side I, I want to just continue where Stacey stopped with Where we are in this bubble mm. We are out of the bubble now It's We can resume our lives as before And I say this because With the patients that I see Is usually your menopausal woman And they forgot Or they placed it on the back burner To look after their own health mm. And their own well-being mm. For instance, going regularly for their pap smears Going regularly for their mammograms We see patients that hasn't seen A health professional Gynecologist or whatever For three to four years Or longer Or longer mm. And that that sort of Upsets me a little bit Because you need to look out Look after yourself mm. That's my message Okay 
Before I, I, I wrap up, I think one of the things that we've learned and something that I cannot emphasize more is that you as the patient um, that listen to these shows, you are the, you the patient that go to your medical practitioner, don't always blindly believe and follow. For us to control and be in control of our health, we need to understand first and foremost what's happening with us. And for us to understand, we need to ask questions. Mm. Sit, ask your practitioner what is wrong. Why it's happening What you have To do What your responsibilities are What your options are And what the consequences Of not treating The condition Or the consequences of taking the medications Might be Be informed Be involved And if you don't Get that from your practitioner. It's time to move on to someone that will take the time and treat you and not your condition or their bank balance. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Cliff Central, thank you for allowing us uh, on your, this platform um, in the year and a bit that we were doing this. We became one of the most listened to and downloaded medical lifestyle shows in the world. Actually, we're in the top four. And some weeks we are the top show in the world. And I think that's because of the topics and the information that we gave. So thank you um, to Cliff Central for that. To my panel that was always at my beck and call, Sister Elise, Stacy, Yvonne, Simpiwe, thank you guys. This has been an experience which we will resume after a break. And with that, I wish you all good health, be safe, be positive. Goodbye, everyone. That was The Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by The Tea Clinic.